And I'm thinking as I'm sitting here now, well, maybe this is my big break. This is my big chance, you know what I mean? You don't just walk on to a network show without experience. Now, I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know, that's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. So, uh, tickets for Lifers Live went on sale today. They've come and gone. Have they? Have, have they I, gone on? I believe on? that G-Man is sold out. Sold out. Okay. I was looking at the G-Man site, and I was like, there's only like two or three seats left. What's going on? Sold out, man. How? How's that possible? They, they all want to see you, Gabe. <laughs> so you'll, you'll have to go to Madison unless we add a second show at G-Man. How's that going to work? I don't know if that's going to work. But that was good to see all those seats going quick and people talking about it. And uh, now we got to work on what we're going to do for this podcast. Live. I was worried because there'd been virtually no feedback. There was no feedback from, from last the episode. Yeah. <laughs> from Friday. Oh, anyway. yeah. Nobody said anything. Almost like they just skipped <laughs> the, the intro. I don't know. I think one person <laughs> said something. It said like road trip or something. But um, yeah, I was like, uh oh. Yeah, Gabe. Now, now, now we have to do it. It's official. You have to come. I just requested a time off of work, and I got it. So now I got to figure out if I'm going to drive or fly. And You waited till now to request time off from work? No, I had it in the works. They knew it was coming. But until the dates were officially booked and not moved around, I needed to make sure I didn't mess with the times. All right, so let's talk about this uh, poster. Poster? Well, I've never right, looked for, better. First well, of all... Real- I lost more weight than I thought. Justine's I had. like, what? A live podcast? What is this shit? Who, who cares about this? And I'm like, well, all right, first of all, you're not invited. You're not coming. Uh, but then she sees the poster. And I thought she'd laugh. She goes, isn't that racist? And I go, <laughs> is it racist? I mean, it's the three amigos, they're all white guys, right? Last I checked, Chevy Chase was a white guy. Steve Martin. Martin Steve, Steve Martin's a white guy, right? Yes, but the question is, is the Three Amigos racist? Yes. Yes. No, I, 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 I'm playing stupid. So, Gabe, you're going to have to answer for all of it. Okay. The, you're the our cover, cons- Gabe. The, the concept of Three Amigos, are you saying? I never saw the movie. Well, no? No, I never saw the movie. <laughs> Was there a story about the three amigos before the movie? I'm sure there was. Right? No. Well, there's the three caballeros, the Disney thing. What are what are they? Are they are they parrots? Are well, the caballeros? Then it's for sure, racist. Yeah, parrots. I think it was. I believe the three so. caballeros was. They, they were racist parrots. 
All, all, every Disney cartoon is racist. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it crossed my Donald mind. Donald Duck. That, listen, was thank racist. God the poster wasn't us doing Song of the South. Is all I got to say. <laughs> when I saw the poster, you know, Bingo. John Oaks, our buddy, did the poster. When I saw it, I said to myself, "This, this can't be considered racist." <laughs> I don't That's think a it sure can. Sign. It could. I don't think it can. It's like uh, I'm the short one. Scott's the tall one, and Ben's in the middle. Well, that's heightism that you're talking about. Yeah, that's something else. I'm trying to... That's okay. No. Heightism is acceptable in my world. But I don't think it's racist. Uh, I just... Well, let me put this out here right now. As opposed to your New Year's Eve show, we're not actually dressing up like the poster of the live (laughs) show, right? I, I don't know. I think we... You know, I think we have to go with this all the way. Jesus. I think if we... Sign up for this. We have to prove that it's not racist by showing up in these outfits. No. One thing I, I draw the line. Oh, do you? No, you draw no, the line. I'm not going to wear a hat or an outfit like a mariachi at this show. I'm dressing in whatever is suitable. Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure, but it sounds like, yeah, yeah, somebody just put their foot down. <laughs> <laughs> Did you had you Listen, Gabe, what you are going to wear, Gabe? Did, have you picked out you, your stage outfit? I already have your outfit picked out, and and you'll wear it. <laughs> this is not New Year's Eve or Halloween. This is June sixth at G Man and June seventh at the Burr Oaks. The Burr Oaks. The Burr Oak. Oak. Uno. The Burr Oak. There's Oak. Uno, Uno Oak. Oak in Madison. Spanish. And, uh, it's going to be casual. No dressing up necessary. This is not a Scott Lucas and the Married Men show where you got to dress up in a suit. Ooh. Hey, leave, leave wow. the Married Men alone. Ouch. They didn't do anything no, to hip. you. That's hip. If I was going to a Married Men show, I'd be dressing up pretty sharp. Well, why don't you dress sharp for this? Or are you going to wear a cardigan sweater? You know, dress like a... <laughs> anyway, it, it, it's happening. It's, it's going to be good. We have some ideas. Oh, we do. Uh, yeah. All right. I mean, uh, should we have drinking games? I don't know. That's a good idea. So, uh, Gabe, who do we have on the show today? It's it's a person I've never met, but I feel like I know him. Is it animal, mineral, or vegetable? Neither. Okay. Uh, I've seen a movie about this guy. I've seen shows about the movie about this guy. And I feel like I've been watching them all week. Michael Alago. Who is right. Michael Alago? Who the fuck is Michael Alago? There you, you go. Yeah. All right. I just said fuck for the first time on the podcast, by the way. That's not anyway, true. I, I like the way you say fuck, by the way. I don't know. But I anyway. You should say it more often. He is the man that signed yeah. Metallica. And many other bands. But listen, the man that signed Metallica? Come on. What? What? What's bigger than that? Uh, there's not much. I mean, Michael is legendary legendary he worked with us uh to throw my hat into his legendary (laughs) ring he worked with us on here comes the zoo uh you know the last good record we made was with michael alago uh (laughs) he worked with nina simone now you gotta have balls the size of bowling balls gabe (laughs) to work with nina simone jesus christ can you imagine telling Nina Simone, nah, 
I don't, I don't hear that song. It needs more work. I wouldn't have done that. Ben, you? No, not me. How about you, Gabe? I don't know any Nina, Nina Simone. Who? Anyway, so <laughs> Michael is here. It, it's 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 a major. It's a good one. Major coup. What else is going on? Ben, I'm feeling uh, somewhat back to my pre-festival self. Feel like I've caught up on some sleep. Gotten to see some uh, movies on TV. Oh, yeah, what'd you say? I'm hoping to venture out into a theater. I watched Don Siegel's version of The Killers. Oh, yeah, I never saw that before, huh? No. And was not into it for the first half, and then I, then I got into it. And boom, you were into it. It gets crazy. That that Clue Gallagher, man, he's, he's a wild man. Who is the guy that was in, uh, what's that movie, Scarecrow? Richard Lynch? Remember Richard Lynch? Yes. Oh, yes. That guy scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Gabe, do you know who Richard Lynch is, was, will always be? No. No idea. I know David Lynch. That's it. I've been watching a lot of uh, 80s, um, you know, the erotic 80s oh. movies. Mm -hmm. I've been listening to, what's her name? Karina Longsmith? Is that her name? You're able Long. to you're able to listen to that voice, huh? Long shanks. It's a little notice how I said a little yeah. affected. What is what's her last name? Longworth, right? Karina Longworth? Something like what? that. She really likes the sound of T's, doesn't she? It's a little She's AI. Photography. Yeah. AI. Speaking of AI, Scott, I don't know if you've heard or seen this. The, AI, I've 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 seen and heard of AI. Okay, it's did everywhere. You, somebody somebody did a rendition of Kurt Cobain playing local age songs. Have you heard these? I'm aware of these. I, I listened to half of one of them, and then I said, "Life's too short for this shit." <laughs> I, I I it came across my feed. Somebody posted. You mean I, said, I listened to Eddie Vetter? That's my <laughs> Karina Longworth. Correct. That's the song that... Erotic 80s. <laughs> Join us, won't you? You don't have anything... I want to it? talk about flash dance. What? Uh, <laughs> I don't have anything to say about AI. Now, listen. It doesn't sound like Kurt Cobain, does it? It's not way off. It, it's not on in any way. It's, it's you can tell it's someone trying to make it sound like it is Kurt Cobain. All right, Ben, play this. And you've shit. heard it. Okay, so you want to hear Kurt Cobain? While Ben's looking it up, we're gonna sound in. We're gonna listen to this back in two or three years. We're gonna sound like the people from the Today Show talking about email. You remember that? What is this? Yeah, but if, if that's the thing? case, we'll all be destroyed. <laughs> like you know. Hal is going to kill us all, going to eject <laughs> us out into space. I can't believe people haven't watched movies before. This is, is not going to end well for us. All right, here we go. Oh, Jesus. Play the Eddie Vedder one. That one's oh. closer. This is, good. this is not very good. Well, let's, let's build up to the Eddie Vedder one. 
We can't listen to all of this. I'm not going to listen to all of it. Let's, let's just hear one second of the guy singing. All right. Or the robot. The guy. The, fuck. <laughs> the guy. It's like me. Learned all my lessons before now. Born to be down. Does anybody know how this actually works with the AI voice? What happens is I get really drunk and then I sing <laughs> Bound for the Floor and that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I don't know how it works. Somebody's got a, a, a algorithm somewhere that can mix the voices. Don't say algorithm. Yes, algorithm. Stop it. <laughs> What's this shit? Oh, he's drinking quick. <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. Is that him AI playing the guitar too? It just sounds like me at 7.30 in Atlanta. I mean, if there's any actual technology that was created for this and is being used, it seems like a colossal waste of time. This just sounds like somebody doing a bad. <laughs> Does it sound like a Yes, it's all. Let's hear the chorus. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's all a colossal waste of time. You You Fascinating. Oofa la loofa. I'm so glad I know what Kurt Cobain would sound like singing Eddie Vedder. Ooh, the mind reels. <laughs> Yikes. This can't. When I, I'm not overreacting when I say this cannot end well. And when I hear something like that, I am more confident in that diagnosis than ever. <laughs> Jesus Christ, 1968. You don't think in a couple 2001, years? 2001, go back and watch it. <laughs> you don't think in a couple of years that all of top 40 radio is going to be computer-generated AI music? Isn't it now? <laughs> I would like to hear the AI Kurt Cobain singing that uh, Daisy Daisy Bicycle Built for Two song from the end of 2001. That would be great. Daisy. You know what I would like to hear? I would like to hear an AI Kurt Cobain singing Puddle of Mud's cover <laughs> of About a Girl. Now, somebody does that, I'll listen to that shit. I don't think the, the computer technology is up for that challenge yet. Oh, man, it would break AI. Like, that's how we kill AI. We make AI do that. Take this, Hal. Somebody needs to create that a that puddle. Of I need a lazy friend. <laughs> I wanted it to end. Yeah. Sing to me, Hal. Sing it, please. <laughs> I'm a negative creep. Hey everybody, it's Michael Alago. Oh, oh, this is a good one. Oh, good. Well, greetings from New York City. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Why not? You know, here we are. Yeah. We survived that 
pandemic and uh, we woke up this morning and uh, I'm thrilled to be here with you. I haven't seen you in a long while, Scott. Uh, and uh, so I I'm here on Lifers. It, it's, it's been a while. I, I think the last time I saw you was it was a please kill me like 20 an 20th anniversary event in New York. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Do you remember yeah, that? I, I'm uh, vague. I'm terrible with time these days. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, things that I think are five years ago or really eight years ago. And then, you know, I, it's, it's, it's because of the pandemic. I really am just like awful with time. Right. Do you feel like that? You know, like when people say the older you get, the faster time goes. Do you feel like the pandemic has sort of screwed that whole well, it screwed up. everything up, but, you know, I still feel time does go by rather swiftly. Um, you know, it's already May 1st, 2023. I also think there's just not enough hours in the day to get stuff done. Uh, but we do. We get it done, and here we are. Yeah. Well, we've had a lot of people on this show who know a lot of people, but you know everybody. Uh, <laughs> you know everybody. Of. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So tell me about everybody. Oh, that would be more than the one hour. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you guys know each other? That's what I want to know. Oh, oh I, I worked with Scott um, on a record for uh, Palm Pictures in, I think, 2000 or 2001 or 2002. Dude. And uh, we had Jack Douglas produce the record. And it was really fabulous. And we had guest stars like, uh, you know, Josh from Queens of the Stone Age was on the record. And who else was on the record? Uh, you got Jerry Only to come by. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And in the studio we were with Jack in, wasn't the piano the John Lennon piano? Like, didn't John Lennon play that piano? Maybe. Like, there was uh, great John Lennon stories every day. I mean, that was part oh, of the well, reason of course, why Jack we had Jack. Yeah, yeah. Correct. <laughs> He's a card. Yeah. Gabe was on the record. Gabe came by. That's right. Okay. So and, there were a yeah, I drove up for a little bit. And I can't remember what the, but I think maybe you said, what about Jerry Only? I said, fuck yeah, if you can do that, let, let, let's make that happen. And he showed up with his son. Oh, okay. I don't remember that part. But uh, yeah, Jerry's great. I uh, made a record with the Misfits uh, at one point when I was at Geffen Records. We made a record called American Psycho. And it's a pretty good record, you know? I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, you were assigned to be our A&R guy when Correct. we were making Here Comes the Zoo. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, you know, your great A&R thing for that record was we had been working on songs for like about a year. And you you called me one day. You're like, hey, I think you need to write some more songs. I'm like, no, fuck you. No. And then you're like, yeah, I'm sorry. You, you have to. You're not ready to go in the studio yet. But because of that hands on the bible and what would you have me do mm. we wrote those songs so without you those songs wouldn't exist and those are the two most popular songs on that record well that's wonderful you know sometimes one does have to push an artist whether he she they them um mm. want to be pushed or not just for the you know for the good of the album uh and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the job. So you grew up in Brooklyn. I did. I grew up in Brooklyn around a Bay Ridge Borough Park area. Um, and at one point we moved to uh, uh, 
East New York, Flatbush, or maybe it's the other way around. Um, but yes, I grew up in Brooklyn and I left Brooklyn for New York City uh, in 1980 when I was 19 years old. I got an apartment on East 10th Street in the East Village between Avenue B and C. It was a war zone back then. Uh, like, it really was the, a war for, zone. For the non-New Yorkers, let's just yes, clarify. You left Brooklyn, you moved to Manhattan. You were always in New York City. Don't fuck around with the Brooklyn. Okay. Come on, man. <laughs> Who is that person? <laughs> that's, that's a former that? Brooklyn. He's a former Brooklynite, and he's gotcha. trying to, yeah. Okay. So, yes, you know, I was always in the city. I was underage going to shows in the city. You know, I was 15, 16 years old, and I looked like I was 12 and a half. And it was just a different time then. You know, uh, most of the time we never got carded, uh, but maybe I just went off on a tangent. So I moved into Manhattan when I was about 19 years old. That was 1980. And I got my first job in the music business um, working at the Ritz. I was actually... Uh, Which is now Webster point. Hall. Yes. Right. Uh, for those who don't know that. Um, okay. But yes, I was, I was going to uh, school at SVA, School of Visual Arts. I worked part-time on Astor Place uh, in a pharmacy. And one day, I, I say this in my movie as well, that I was taking lunch one day and I was walking down East 11th Street and I saw this beautiful building. And on the door of this red, on the red door was this little, I don't know, eight by 10 white piece of paper that said video club opening, <laughs> resumes wanted. And I thought, video club, what the hell? heck is a video club. So I walked into what was going to be the Ritz. And, um, you know, it's if you if no, if, if you all all you listeners out there have not heard about the Ritz or Webster Hall, it's a beautiful hall. It's been there forever. It was a Spanish dance hall in the I don't know, the 1900s maybe or maybe a little after that it was rca's recording studio for a while it was the dance hall called casa galicia and then i don't know there was probably one or two more things and then it became the ritz which opened in 1980. so i got a job there because i was just looking around and i always say it was like the wizard of oz there was a man in the balcony his name was jerry Brick. Brandt, uh, God rest his soul. Um, and he said, kid, what do you want? And I said, well, I want a job here. And he said, do you have a resume? And I was like, a resume? What's that? And he just like laughed in my face. And uh, he called me up to his office and we started talking about music. We talked about um, everything from the Great American Songbook to what was going on in New York, on the radio, in underground um, music, uh, things that were happening at the clubs. And he said, you know, kid, I'm going to give you a job. You're going to open my mail. You're going to uh, answer my phone and you're going to get my lunch. And I thought, wow, I think I'm in the music business. And um, I was a sponge. So I was a quick learner. And uh, at some point, probably a year into, I would say, apprenticing for Jerry, um, I, I was his assistant and I became like the assistant booking director. I was always grateful that when I first met him, I didn't know he was really like a somebody. Right. You know, he, he worked with Sam Cooke. He worked with Muhammad Ali. He was in the mail room at, at William Morris with David Geffen at the Jesus. same time. Yeah. 
Um, at one point, he, he got Carly Simon signed to Elektra, where I would work many years later, or a couple of years later. Uh, he worked with the voices of East Harlem, and he had a, an act named Joe Bryath. Um, gay artist, which uh, he, him and all of his friends and in New York thought the Bryth was going to be the biggest thing. They spent so much money on him and absolutely nothing happened with the two albums that he recorded for Elektra. They're very uh, Ski Rex-ish, Bowie-esque, glam. And I only found them again in recent years because I went on eBay, of course. Uh -huh. And packaging was just so exquisite, you know, gatefold, craziness. Um, so, you know, that's the man I worked for for the first three years of being in the business was Jerry Brandt at the Ritz from 1980 to 1983. everybody there uh you know we did uh, two nights of prince we were speaking to i forget what booking agent it was 
but Tina Turner was going to make a comeback. She was yeah. going to have that, uh, her album on Capitol Records. Uh, then she made What's Love Got to Do With It. It became huge. So we put tickets on sale and we had a, we had her there for about five nights, all sold out. You know, Keith Richards, David Bowie, everybody, every night we'd be seating people because everybody wanted to see and hear the return of Tina Turner. And it was friggin' brilliant. But uh, yeah, there, there was always somebody there unless it was a Monday or Tuesday night where we had local artists and or we had um, like movie night. You know, we would show like John Waters movies and Russ Meyer movies and, you know, craziness like that. Yeah. But before that, you're, I mean, were you doing a zine for oh, Dead oh, Boys? Well, uh, OK, well, I uh, was not officially in the music business when I was 15 or 16 years old. But um, my home away from home was CBGB. And um, when I knew this band from uh, Youngstown, Ohio, yeah. Ohio, were coming to New York, um, I saw their name in the Village Boys. And I, went, I thought to myself, this sounds very interesting. So I went to see the Dead Boys, and they became my all-time favorite band ever at CBGB. And I put a little zine together for them, all you know, Xerox, to cut out pictures and letters and everything called All This and More. And it was one of the songs on their album, Young, Na Young Loud, and Snotty. Um, and we just became like best friends, you know. I, I when I graduated from high school in '77, uh, I went with them to the West Coast. Them and the Mumps, Lance Loud's band, and we went to the West Coast, L.A., San Francisco, and they did a ton of gigs. And it was just so much fun because they were like wild and crazy, but we all were wild and crazy at 15, 16, 21, 22 years old. You know, we've had a lot of people on here talk about CBs and Maxes, but sure. But no one really talks about Lamore. Um, well, then you haven't had any metalheads on your show. <laughs> right. uh, you know, funny, when I lived in Brooklyn, in Borough Park, um, uh, we lived under the uh, elevated train. So where our apartment was, if I looked out my window, I could see the elevated train. So, you know, back then, it could be World War Three, and I could sleep through anything. But <laughs> yeah. the point of that is we lived on 55th Street, and on 62nd Street and New Chicago Avenue was Lamore. So seven blocks away. I would get to Lamore, and I would stagger home, you know, polluted. You know, we lived in a railroad apartment, so my mother would always have to like, just grab me, throw me in bed. Hopefully I wasn't throwing up. And um, yeah, Lamore. Lamore was great. Uh, so many wonderful artists played there from Motorhead to Metallica to Plasmatics, uh, Armored Saint. Um, it was like the place to go when you were a young, when you were a teenager, because all of those incredible artists were performing there. So were you seeing, was Motorhead there with the Plasmatics? Is that when they no, started these are all different. Um, um, no, I don't think the Plasmatics and the uh, Motorhead formed together, but I was just naming names of. Yeah artists who played there yeah I, 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 that always fascinates me the whole uh plasmatics uh motorhead thing so well i i guess you know they liked each other lenny yeah. and wendy and i forget what the song was that they recorded together but you know if you ask me i think they were both one-of-a-kind artists you know who else is like Motorhead? No one. Nobody. So like, don't even try it. And then, you know, you see her on stage, you know, uh, and again, one of a kind artist and uh, very clever. Uh, you know, Rod Swenson 
her partner and manager of the plasmatics really helped put that look together for all of them. Uh, and it was, uh, again, one of a kind and fabulous. So how did you transition from the Ritz to Electra? Mm. Because. Sure. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, named Mitchell Krasnow said, you know, Michael, my dad is leaving Warner Brothers and he's going to restructure Electra because it was in the crapper, excuse me, by 1983. <laughs> I think the only uh, artist that was selling a record was this artist, Greg Kinn, who was on Berserkly Records in, in California. And he had a song called Jeopardy. Conspiracy. Is that what it was? I think the record was called Conspiracy. Oh, the album. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, Bob Krasnow gets to Elektra and he could care less. He dropped Greg Kinn. He started dropping artists left and right who he, who he didn't fancy. And um, so Mitchell set up an, uh, an interview with his dad. And I met Bob and we had that same, <clears throat> excuse me, we had that same conversation that I had with Jerry Brandt. We talked about all kinds of music. Um, and at the end of that, uh, and we also talked about art because Bob was really an art maven. And in 1983, there were so many artists um, coming up like Jean-Michel Basquiat and Keith Haring and Canadian artists who resided in New York, Richard Hambleton, who was known for his Shadow Men pieces. Uh, so there was so much happening in New York. So that was another thing that Bob and I um, chatted about. So after that interview was over, he said, um, I'm going to give you a call. So I anxiously awaited. I don't remember if it was a week or two weeks, um, but he called me back and he said, I'm gonna give you a job and uh, you're gonna be in the A&R department. Well, I was thrilled. So then I had to call a friend of mine in the music business and say, what's A&R? <laughs> well, of course, you know, everybody like laughed in my face when I was young. And uh, then I found out very quickly, it's artist and repertoire. And if you ask me, it's the most important part of a record company, because if um, I'm not there to help artists create great records, and if they don't sell, there's only so long <laughs> you get to keep your A&R job. Um, yeah. I was like, again, I was a sponge and uh, 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 I was very specific once I started signing artists and um, I, I didn't sign a lot of artists, even when people were going after cer certain, you know, singer songwriters, heavy metal artists, top 40. I just I really focused on um, just, you know, metal artists and uh, it was it was really a metal artists and singer songwriters. Um, but I love all types of music. You know, growing up, I listened to um, 77 WABC AM radio because AM radio back in the day was not formatted the way it is these days. Right. So you could hear everything from Grand Funk Railroad to Aretha Franklin. And, you know, so <laughs> I met with Bob Krasnow. He gave me the job and um, I get there in, I don't know, summer of 1983 and uh immediately artists managers lawyers publishers were wanting to speak to me uh because bob was sending everybody my way so i was like the beginning of that a and r department there were other people there too um 
So it's still based uh, in New York while you're while you're there. Yes, yeah, always based in New York. Okay. When we got there, we were at six six five Fifth Avenue, uh, the Rolex Building. We didn't stay there long, and then we got our official offices at seventy five Rockefeller Plaza, and um, that's where we were for most of the time. Oh. Uh, and um, so you know, I was getting cassettes because remember it's nineteen eighty three. I got cassettes of just everything i had boxes and you know my assistant tony she was really a, a a gem and um we just started pulling stuff out and we'd start listening to cassettes and it was a lot of work you know i was busy morning <laughs> noon and night and people really asked me did you really listen to everything i listened to as much as i could yeah. you know like even back then, there was just not enough hours in the day. And if I got in at 10 and I left at seven to go to hear a live event, you know, my ears were like, oh, my God, you know. So um, that's how I got that first job um, at Electra Records because of Bob Krasnow. Who is who is the first band you signed at Electra? Well, I, I, I learned very quickly you don't sign your friends. Uh, mm -hmm. I signed a little band from uh, Red Bank, New Jersey, uh, called Shrapnel. And uh, l later on, uh, Shrapnel, um, the singer was Dave Windorf, who later went on to uh, right. form Monster Magnet, and Phil Caivano, also in Monster Magnet. Daniel Ray uh, became um, a part of Masters of Reality, and yeah. he later wrote for the Ramones, Iggy Pop, and played with Ronnie Spector. So from that little group that didn't sell a darn record, um, they all became somebody in their own right. And I'm still friends with them 42 years later. Um, but then the second act I signed was a little group called Metallica. I signed <laughs> them in summer of 1984. And, um, you know, that signing just changed the face of heavy metal. It changed the face of rock and roll. Everybody wanted to be on Electra. Everybody wanted to talk to me. At some point, everybody, all the A&R people wanted to find their own version of Metallica. Good luck. That doesn't Good luck happen. With that. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't. It's just, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, what is that called? What they used to call it? Like lightning in a bottle, you know? Yeah. Um, but how that all came about, if you don't mind me telling you, uh, for your listeners out there who I'm sure would, want to hear about Metallica, of course. Is I, I met a guy named Johnny Z. He had a little label called Megaforce Records. They had no money. They made a couple of, uh, they signed a couple of artists. They made some vinyl, but um, that was really it. So Johnny heard about me at Electra. He gave me a call and uh, he sent me some vinyl. And um, he said, you know, I have, a, I have a little band. They're a power trio. They're called Raven. And I think you really, you should sign them because they're going to be huge. And the problem was, and I didn't want to tell him yet, is that um, I had already heard Kill Em All by Metallica. And that totally blew my mind. But I gave John $5,000 and I said, give me a five song demo of Raven. The, the uh, demo was excellent. It really was top notch musicians and great guys and um but like i said you know the problem was or, or the, whatever was that i heard kill them all and i knew i had to have those people in my life uh john was not thrilled with me he got he was mad he was he was um like i'm gonna sue electra i'm gonna sue your business affairs department time warner's gonna hear from me and i was <laughs> like cool cool it you know um <laughs> 
So by the time he like quieted down, uh, I let him know I wasn't signing Raven. And uh, I, I said, you know, John, our business affairs is going to call your business people. And, you know, they, they made a deal that was, you know, profitable for everybody. You know, they, they got a point on their records, um, the next two records, uh, right. Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, in perpetuity. Uh, on those two records, right next to the Electra logo, maybe just a, a hair smaller was the <laughs> Megaforce logo. And, uh, you know... The rest is history, as they say. Yeah. 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 <laughs> where, where did you first see Metallica? Was sure. it at Lemore? Uh, yeah, I, I was at Lemore. I was with Phil Caivano. And it was um, early. It was right before I, I started at Electra. So maybe it was the be- late 82, the beginning of 83. And it was fabulous. And people were talking about them. You know, these were young people who, as crazy as they were, and who were soon to be called alcoholica because of the amount of alcohol they consumed. They were people who were very focused, like they knew already what they had to do. And if you heard Kill 'Em All, that record is out of control. It's electric. And it's really like that record is on fire. To this day. Anyway, saw them at L'Amour and just I fell in love with them, but I ha- didn't have uh, I had just left the Ritz and it took like a minute or two or three to get to Electra. I had to go to San Francisco for uh, some business and they were playing at the Troubadour. So I went to see them there and that's where I gave Lars my business card. Okay. And uh, I said, you know, I, I, my name is Michael Alago. I do A&R for Electra in New York. And, you know, I got to have you people in my life. So he says, well, you know that we're signed to, I said, you already know. I've spoken <laughs> to Johnny Z. He's not happy with me. Here's my business card. So I don't know, I go back to New York and life goes on and, you know, I'm listening to cassettes and uh, meeting, you know, having meetings day in, day out. And at some point, Lars says, you know, he called me, is he still interested in my band? And I said, absolutely. He says, well, we're coming to New York summer, August of 84, and we're playing with Anthrax and Raven. Will you come? I said, absolutely. So, you know, I... I go to Roseland, famous build, famous uh, music venue, beloved music uh, venue that was up already there 50 years that probably our parents went there dancing. Um, it's not there anymore, unfortunately, because, uh, you know, I don't know, New York sometimes has no respect for buildings who, that should have been marked historic, but wasn't. So I right. see that at uh, Roseland. Uh, I get there. I'm definitely drunk. Of course, um, and it was it was really it, it blew my mind. You know, um, Anthrax were good, uh, Raven were good, but you know, Metallica ripped the proverbial roof off the whole fucking building. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I curse? Do you oh, want fuck to- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay. I never know with these things. Because, right. you, know, uh, you, you just never know with these. You things. never know. In any event, and also if I if I fumfer too much. I'm sure you'll do a little editing here. And there. <laughs> yeah, we would or, if you or, said or, anything boring, which isn't going to happen. Or else. Anyway, okay. so I go up 
Uh, I see them. The show is over. I make my way backstage. I lock the door and I'm carrying because I'm so drunk. I'm carrying on about how much I love them. I'm <laughs> hugging them. I'm kissing them. Yeah. And they're looking like, who is this crazy person, please? This drunk, crazy person. And Lars says to you, because James was giving me the eye. Um, the 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 the, the, the woolly eye or whatever that was called i've um, seen it yeah yeah so uh he said um james this is michael olago from electra and i'm sure they didn't say it but they looked at me as if we're putting our life in this crazy drunk person's <laughs> hands and uh, i said yes you are so i said you know i want you to come to the office tomorrow uh they came to electra the next day and it, it's a kind of famous story i i i told i told it in many interviews already but people don't get tired hearing it and for those who didn't hear it i got beer and chinese food and uh they came up to the office and we just chatted they loved the idea that back in the day uh, the MC5, the Stooges, and the Doors were on Electra. Right. So I gave them vinyl. I gave them cassettes. Cliff, our beloved Cliff Burton, who has since passed away, um, wanted to hear all the avant-garde and different stuff that was on None Such Records, a mm. label um, uh, that we distributed. He also wanted Simon and Garfunkel. And I said, Cliff, we don't have Simon and Garfunkel. They're on CBS, but I will gladly get you those records. <laughs> um, you know, I had our chairman, Bob Krasnow, come into the uh, conference room. And he, you know, I don't think he understood uh, the music, but basically it was like, if Michael wants you here, we want you here. And uh, again, I'm repeating myself just a little bit, but really the rest was history. And uh, we signed them and uh, they were in the middle. They were actually in the middle of making their second record, Ride the Lightning, which is still my favorite record. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, oh, flawless record. And, you know, the difference between Kill 'Em All, which was reckless, crazy, out of control and wonderful. They grew so much from first to second record. Right. How those songs matured were just unbelievable, considering everybody was drunk all the time. It's yeah. a fabulous record. Yeah. And uh, then they, you know, um, we put them out on the road. Uh, in our marketing meetings, people were like, well, are we editing any of these songs for radio? I was mortified. If I ever went to Lars and James and said, well, you know, the radio department wants us to edit stuff. I would have been out of favor with them for the rest of their career. And I had to tell people in the marketing meeting, this is not a radio record. You know, if you can get it on college radio, you can get it on late night uh, radio, fine. Um, but we're not making videos and we're not um, editing any of the songs. Nobody was happy with me, but I got Bob to give them enough money to go on the road for the next year. And it was all in seeing these people live, seeing this fabulous, very charismatic band up on stage. You know, I always say James up front is a ringleader. He knew how to whip everybody into a frenzy. Yeah. And, you know, you know, Lars and Kirk and uh, my beloved Cliff, who was really like the best musician in the band at the time, um, they knew how to drive people insane. Like. They would destroy <laughs> everywhere they played. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Correct. Well, I know. remember uh, 
uh, Fade to yes. Black doing really well on the local station uh-huh. in Chicago. Sure. Oh, great, great. But, you know, also just backtracking for one second, that night at Roseland, the beautiful thing about it was I signed Metallica to Elektra, Anthrax got signed to Island, and Raven got signed to Atlantic Records. So everybody walked away happy. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right, good. What about uh, Master Puppets? Because that's my favorite. Like, oh, what was well, the? Well, it's it's a it's 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 a it's a heavy metal classic. Um, they when they were making the record with Fleming overseas, they didn't want anybody in the studio, including me. Oh. Oh, and ma- and and management, Q Prime management, they were like, mm, we don't want anybody from the label at the. Um, at the, at the recording sessions. But, you know, we were spending top dollar and I had to know what was going on. So uh, Lars would send me parts of songs on that. Uh-huh. On and um, so I got all, all these dats and even just those little bits of songs, I thought, oh, my God. This is, it's really is incredible, incredible, excuse me. And um, that's how they recorded the record over there. And I would hear these parts. And when, when they finished with the record, they sent it to me immediately. I lost my mind. I brought it over to George Marino at Sterling, God rest his soul as well. He's not with us anymore. He was a master uh, uh, um, over at Sterling Sound. Yeah. And we mastered the record there. And when I got the record back, Cliff Bernstein, their manager, came to my office that morning. I think we, if we, if you could blast something up to twelve, not just ten, we blasted. I think the whole floor was wondering what the f was going on. And um, it's an extraordinary record. It's a landmark record for them. You know, a lot of people. You know, a lot of older fans, a lot of old time fans always wish that they could make Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets again. But, you know, you always have to be moving forward, as you know, as an artist, Scott, that um, you, know, you can't make the same record twice because right. then you would become stale. People would talk about that as well. Right. You know, so people didn't love load and reload, but, you know, they just kept moving on. And, um, I have no idea where I'm going with this. It's <laughs> <That's> good stuff. <laughs> did you did you sign Caius? Oh, I did not. So how did Caius end up at Electra? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> at what point did you uh, leave Electra to go to Geffen? What, what facilitated yeah, sure, that? Sure, sure. Well, two things. My life in the music business, in the nutshell, was from 1980 to around 2004. I was at Electra from 83 to 88. I then went to Geffen and then I left Geffen because I was not moving. They were LA based and I'm total New Yorker. I don't swim, I don't drive. I can, I, I know how to hail a taxi. Right. So um, uh, 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 I, I was there from, I don't know, 89 to maybe 92. And um, I signed, um, Kane Roberts from Alice Cooper's band. I made a record with the Misfits, and I signed White Zombie. What was the first band? I'm sorry, I talked over you. Uh, no, it's okay. Kane Roberts, he's a guitar oh, player. He, oh, yeah. He plays, okay. he plays with Alice Cooper. Yes. I made a solo record with him, and it was at the time when the producer, Desmond Child, was hot. Right. So he produced Kane's record. 
it did okay, but um, I just like him as a human being and as a guitar player and, and an artist. But uh, I was at Elektra, I was at Geffen, I was at Elektra, I was at Geffen. In the middle of all of that, I was at a little label that got brought back to life uh, called Uni. And at Uni, um, the first three artists that we had there was um, Steve Earle, and we made a we made a record with him called Copperhead Road. There you, was, wow, I didn't yeah, know that. Oh yeah, from the UK. There was a, a fun band called Transvision Vamp. Yes. And then the, the third act that was signed there immediately was Swans that I signed from New York. Wow. Yeah. And you know, they're like the loudest band in the world if you ever go to their Yes, show. they are. It makes and you I, fall and over. And I made the quietest record in the world with them that's really ethereal and beautiful. And Bill Laswell uh, produced that record. Nice. So that lasted for like, I don't know, a minute of time. Uh, and in that second minute of time, um, I was booking a nightclub in New York called The Red Parrot. It was on 57th Street and 11th Avenue. And... Um, they were fun nights. I mean, I had everybody there from Madonna, Grandmaster Flash, DJ Africa Bombada, the suburbs from Minneapolis, Ronnie Spector, Alan Vega, Chuck Berry. Wow. I mean, I, every Wednesday. And there was a lovely artist in New York who's not also uh, not with us anymore. His name was John Sex. And uh, he made... The, the most lavish silk screen posters for my Wednesday night events. They were delicious. They were fabulous. Um, so I did that in between all of that. So my official, <laughs> oh gosh, here we go again, not knowing what's going on. Thank you. 
along any of our many alluring trails. Just bring your gear. We'll provide the rest. For a summer experience every boy should share. I left Geffen for the second time because um, I wasn't having it and I wasn't yeah. loving it there. Um, I went to Palm Pictures. Chris Blackwell, who had so sold Island Records, started this little label, as you know, called Palm Pictures, and it was half independent feature films and half um, music. And uh, I worked with uh, I worked with you, uh, Local H. I worked with one of my favorite little bands, Speed Dealer from Dallas, Texas. Yeah. And I had Jason Newstead from Metallica produce them. And I worked with uh, Chris Jericho's band, Fozzy. Fozzy. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I love Chris. He's fabulous. And, and those were the three records that I basically A&R'd uh, at Palm. And uh, unfortunately, I was beginning to... Um, get sick again i was uh i had hiv for like a really long time and in the 90s i had full-blown aids when there was no medication out yet so i was an effing mess 
for a long time. And I still thought it was okay to do cocaine and drink. Um, (laughs) I had total lack of respect for myself at some point. And um, I thought I was getting sick again. So it's 2004 and I just decide I've done this for 24 years. You know, at some point Lars was suing Napster, you know, uh, people weren't buying records like they used to. Um, And I just thought, you know what? I did it. And I was happy that I did it. So um, when I kind of officially left the music business in around, I think, 2003, 2004, I I started taking pictures because um, I love photography. I I love the stories that pictures tell. And I, I just started taking pictures, you know, for the next couple years. And then fast forward uh, at some point in, I don't know, 2009, because I knew her for a number of years, Cindy Lauper called and asked me would I A&R one of her records. She was making a dance record. It was called Bring You to the Brink. And uh-huh. I started that. And then she called me again in 2010. And she said, Michael, you know, he's always up for an adventure, Cindy. She yeah. called me again and she said, Michael, I want to make a blues record. I said, Cindy. Did you ever make a blues record? She said, no, did you? I said, no. So we're on even playing fields. So I would go to her um, place up uh, on the Upper West Side, sit in her kitchen. Again, Chinese food comes into the picture. And we sat there and we would, I was putting together songs that even if you know men sang the songs, we could like play around with it so that these tunes would come from a woman's point of view. Right. We go down to Memphis to make the record, and we um, we have a, um, a young, well, he was relatively young, maybe not even 40, uh, producer named Scott Bomar produced the album. Really, it's an incredible record. People were surprised Sin was making a blues record. Uh, we had a blast down in Memphis. Uh, I'll tell you a little story in a bit. And um, when we were done... Uh, it was on a small label, I think, called Downtown Records. Uh-huh. And um, the record got nominated for a Grammy for Best Contemporary Blues Album. We didn't gra- we didn't win the Grammy, but it signaled to us that we did great work. Well, how did you meet Cindy in the first place? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cin, uh, a fellow New Yorker. I had booked Blue Angel at the Ritz in the 80s. Um I knew her manager, Lisa Barbaris, who still manages her now. But back then, Lisa was our publicist at both Electra and Geffen. So her and I followed each other and um, she was managing Sin then. So, you know, we had various dinners together, nights out. Uh, and um, we really, you know, got along and she really liked me. And she, at that point in time, she'd respected, you know, the variety of records of A&R, everything from Tracy Chapman to uh, Swans to Metallica. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and, you know, that's how it all came about between Cindy and I. Yeah. What about Eric Bogosian? Yeah. How did you meet Eric? <laughs> Eric? You know, I'm a theater nut. I'm a... I love live theater. And he was at Joseph Papp's Public Theater on Lafayette Street in the East Village doing a, um, a one-man show called Drinking in America. Uh-huh. And I went to see Drinking in America. And it was, you know, totally fabulous. And um, at one point, oh, gosh, now I'm spacing out. What was the show I saw him do at but wait, Oliver Stone then made the movie. Talk radio. Thank you. 
Thank you, guys. Ooh, see, I told you my brain is not what it used to be. I bring Kraz to do uh, to uh, the public theater. It's 1986. Uh, I'm still at Electra. And, you know, it was stunning talk radio. It was out of control. Bob didn't want to do a spoken word record at Electra. Um, we were building, it was three years into building a roster there. Everyone from Motley Crue to Anita Baker, uh, to Metallica, uh, to Tracy Chapman. And um, I went backstage and I said hi to Eric. And uh, we've been friends ever since. As a matter of fact, I spoke to him the other day before he went to Prague to do his parts for the new interview with the vampire. And oh, yeah. we just became fast friends. And uh, Again, another person who I'm friends with, I don't know, 38, 40 years. And, you know, never had a bad word with him. Never. Same thing with John Lydon. You know, I did that public image limited show at the Ritz, which was a disaster. Um, <laughs> and the reason that show came about is because I had booked two nights of Bow Wow Wow. Totally sold out. Malcolm McLaren calls me on the phone and says, uh, we're not coming. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not coming? What what is this? What does this mean? He said, Well, you know, Annabella is underage and her mom doesn't want her to come to the States. I said, Malcolm, listen, you booked those shows and she was underage when you booked the shows. What changed in three months? Nothing. I said, We'll pay for the ticket, we'll get her ass on the plane, and we'll have her mom come. And he said, Well, you know, we're not coming. It's very typical right. uh you know, Malcolm McLaren. And uh, so they wound up not coming. And I said to him, I sent back our 50% deposit, which of course, I don't think we ever got back. Uh. And uh, I had to think quick that week. I knew I'd never met John Lydon before. I knew he was in town promoting Flowers of Romance. Um, so I called uh, the head of publicity at Warner Brothers, Liz Rosenberg, and I said, I need to speak to John Lydon. He doesn't know me. But I never had a problem calling people on the phone and introducing myself because I always got through to them. So I called him and I said, you know, I know this is last minute. I know you're here for just a press junket, but I want you to play live at the Ritz for next Friday and Saturday. And he was like, well, we don't have instruments. We haven't rehearsed or anything. I said, we'll get Keith, like uh, I think it was called a Prophet Five, uh, program 45 minutes worth of music in there. And uh, you'll do live vocals, find a drummer, which I think they found somebody on the street and uh, we'll do the gigs. So uh, after Liz Rosenberg, I, I sent a car for them and uh, Jeanette, Keith, John and their videographer came to Jerry Brandt's office that afternoon. And um, my dear, dear Danny Fields, um, who people who don't know Danny, he was at Electra back in the day and he managed and discovered the MC5 and the Stooges yeah. and he managed the Ramones for most of their career. Anyway, he was our publicist there. And we just sat around talking about like what we could do. Well, the videographer and John said, well, we'll do it under one condition. Oh, all right, well, what's the condition? We, we know you have that 30 foot screen, which is the screen with infamous that we would show every video that every record company sent us um, there. And we don't want to come out from behind the screen. And we thought, oh, boy, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> you know, people were coming there wanting to hear Johnny Rotten, you know, John Lydon. And see Johnny Rotten. 
you see that that's a good one they want to see him yeah. and um so what it was was they weren't coming out from behind the screen and in my crazy mind the beautiful thing about it was there were all these white lights so they these white lights were just projecting black shadows right and people were hollering like and screaming and john peeks out and said we're never coming out from behind this screen <laughs> that's all people had to know from the stick from the balcony um so we still served uh, you know beer in a bottle right Beer bottles were getting thrown at the stage, at the screen on the stage. Chairs were getting thrown at the stage. And I think that whole piece lasted about 18 minutes. We had to let people out because there was a, there really was a full scale riot. I thought it was kind of fabulous. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, remember, in the 80s, security did not know how to handle young people who were dancing right. and to throw themselves on the stage and throw themselves off the stage. So it got really hairy and we had to close down that night. And um, what happened to the screen? Well, it, it teared a little bit, but, you know, we got to, like, roll it up. And uh, 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 I guess I don't remember it being too much damage. And, of course, the next morning, everybody's security were furious with me. Yeah. Uh, when I went to Jerry's <laughs> office, I said, let's have him back tomorrow night. <laughs> and Jerry was like, get out of my office. But that show was a shot heard around the world because... Uh, Tim Summer, the next day, I think, did a cover piece for Sounds. Uh, the New Musical Express did something, and uh, NME did something on that show. Um, and, you know, that evening sealed the deal that John and I were going to be friends. And he's another person in 2023 we're still friends 42 years later and we also have never had a bad word with each other see that I, blows my mind i mean <laughs> oh, well, it blows everybody's mind I and mean, that you know and that he was so nice about me in my documentary who the fuck is that guy right uh, it blows people's minds it's well, wait john was nice in your video <laughs> i said i can't explain it it's just that's how it is you know right uh, you don't know, have a pretty... nice word for anybody, but for you? Yes. Extra yeah. special. Extra special nice. Right. Well, Gabe has this question that he usually asks, but I think we kind of have an idea what the answer might be. Please. Gabe, take it away. I don't know. I'm, I'm listening to all these stories. I'm, I'm baffled. I'm like, holy cow, how does, how does one person have this many stories? But that, that, you're, you're incredible. I, I watched the movie that was about you before I even knew you were coming. Oh, thank you. I, and I watched a movie, uh, a YouTube special about the movie, and uh -huh. you were in there for an hour. So I'm like, I feel like I've been talking to you for a week now. Oh, good. <laughs> well, maybe that's uh, good. I don't know. Before I get to that, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, yes. You said you 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 worked at the Ritz. You booked the Ritz and stuff. Were sure. you at Were you at that Misfits show where they recorded Evil Live? Ah, good question. I did have the Misfits there. Uh, there was a riot. Um, I don't remember if Evil Live was recorded there or not. I, I'm sorry, I can't answer that for you. That's right. But, asking... if, but, but you know what? If we turn the vinyl over, doesn't it say something like where it was recorded? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's at the Ritz. November. Well, then there you go. You November... didn't have to ask me <laughs> that question. I didn't but, know. The vinyl doesn't lie. But we, we have this bit where we ask our guests all the time. Uh -oh. if, you, if you had to choose between two bands, one of them 
doesn't fit in your collection. The other one, you can only listen to them. Between the two bands, Iron Maiden or The Replacements? Neither. <laughs> neither. You're the first person Come to say on. Moving on. That's happening more often. People what? are like, people like, like usually no, neither. That's uh-huh, you're uh-huh. the third or fourth person in the last few months that has said well, that. Well, Ben, you got to start asking, or who, Gabe, you got to start asking different questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or else off with your head. Yes. I got, one, I got one more question I'm going to ask you, and I'll oh, let Ben jump in. But uh, please, I'm, I'm, I was watching this cool show last night about uh, memorabilia. It's, it was on Netflix about people collecting old sports stuff and things like that. Oh, wow. But you, you must have some really cool memorabilia from the early, you know, like the late '70s or early '80s, you know, rock or punk scene. What what's, would be like one of your most prized possessions from that time? Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have pri- prized possessions because as a youngster. Going to, you know, all of those nightclubs, I I always either had a little yellow Kodak Instamatic plastic camera. Then I upgraded to a Minolta camera and I always took photographs. So I have lots of photographs of bands from back in the day. Everyone from the Avengers, West Coast, San Francisco band, Fabulous, to, you know, the Dead Boys. Um, But, you know, I have boxes of like, stuff from back then i you know my first big concert ever i was 13 and i uh saw alice cooper at madison square garden uh, it was the last night of his billion dollar babies tour. wow my cousin's boyfriend took me because my cousin didn't want to go you know it was that time of the month for her and she <laughs> says take my little cousin with you well Al- that really did change my life forever alice cooper um and i still i saved that uh, ticket stub. I still have the tour, tour program. So things like that I saved for, uh, over the years. Right. So I have just boxes of stuff like that. And a little punk rock record store uh, called me about doing this little book about every piece of ephemera that I have. So I'm taking a deep breath and I'm thinking about delving into all these boxes just to Get all my ephemera out there. Yeah, see what's there. Sure, sure. Good. Man, it's great to see you. Thanks for doing this. Oh, great. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, Any place that I screwed up, Ben, or whoever is in charge of editing, edit the crap out of me. I I want to sound good. I don't see see where you can be edited. uh, Well, you know, if there's too many oohs and ahs or uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, Edit the fuck out of it, please. But thank you all so much for having me here. And um, it's nice to see you, Scott. Hopefully I'll get to see you somewhere along the way. And Gabe, you have to come up with some new questions, please. Well, that's the question we give to everybody. Okay, well, whatever. We'll do something. You and I will do something different when I come back for part two. 